And then I distinctly remember going to the toilet. I wasn't doing a number two, but I was checking my phone. And it was it was um, ticking faster than my phone could keep up. And I was like, okay, something's happening. Look at this absolute unit. Tough. Jog on. If you work in social media, you'll almost certainly recognise both of these quotes as being viral moments from Twitter in 2018. But did you realise they were both sent from the same town? Last summer, the University of Reading told racists to jog on, while the absolute unit came from the Museum of English Rural Life, which is also in Reading. Spooky. With that in mind, I travelled to Berkshire and got the two geniuses behind these viral moments, Tim Watkins from the University and Adam Kazari from the Merle, to join me on the show this week. We chatted about what happened on both of their accounts and what they've learned from going viral. From the Access platform, he's Tim, he's Adam, I'm Dave, and this is Inspiration on Tap. Christ, my job title is so stupid. Um, yeah, but uh, I want to get it, I want to get it on record one last time before you <laughs> before you have a more sensible one. Yeah, and I've actually I have passed puberty, so if my voice is cracking during this, that's why. That's no, that's not why. It's just just, just emotional about I'm so leaving sure. the university. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm the program manager and digital lead for Museums Partnership Reading, which is an Arts Council England funded national portfolio organisation made up of the Museum of English Rural Life and Reading Museum. But I also do the Twitter. And your name is? And my name is Adam Kazori. Thanks. My name is Tim Watkins and I'm the social media manager for the University of Reading. That's a, that's a very sensible job title in comparison. But yeah. guys, thank you so much for taking the time and um, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Here today to, to talk about, I guess, going viral and just having your job be kind of bonkers. Um, but before we get into all of that, I always like to start these conversations just getting an idea of people's career backgrounds. So what is it, what's the story for both of you two? Where, how have you ended up, have you ended up in jobs where you've been writing tweets and kind of breaking the internet? I'll go first, sure. Um, so I, I studied at a university in Australia, obviously, which is where I'm from, um, Griffith University, uh, and then ended up working there. Um, as someone who's not ready for the real world, I moved into the incubator of working in higher education. Um, and then I, I moved around a couple of other jobs like further education colleges and stuff, but always working in like HEFE kind of equivalents. Um, and then went back and did my master's at Griffith, uh, Master of Marketing. And then about the time that I finished that, uh, job offers came up, kind of matching job offers came up for my wife and I to go and work together in the UK um, at a private college over here. And who could pass up the chance to go from working 10 minutes from the beach on the Gold Coast in Australia to to the Thames Valley, uh, and so here I am, yeah, at yeah. the University of Reading. Ten minutes from a trolley in the Kennet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> ten minutes from the Oracle Shopping Centre. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't come from anywhere near as glamorous as Australia, but where there are fewer things to kill you, I guess. I'm from the Black Country, but I did ancient oh, history at university. That's, that's, that's debatable, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I did ancient history at university because mm-hmm. I was one of that generation where they said, do what you love and there'll be a job at the end of it. And then the credit crunch happened. And I was like, what What do I do with this? So I got a scholarship to do museum studies because I hate kids and I didn't want to teach. Um, I got my first museum job here, actually, at the Museum of English Rural Life, redeveloping the entire museum and the galleries. So that was a mixture of curation and project management and all the rest. But because we were closed, I realised... The only way we could communicate with the public other than little projects was actually just social media. So we started kind of gradually using more of the Twitter and the Facebook accounts with the marketing manager and starting to realize I actually enjoyed the dynamic 
of talking about history with people directly on social media than putting up labels where you never actually get to talk to people. You just do the research, put the label up and leave it. So that got me a job at Bodleian Libraries at the University of Oxford, half the week doing this job and then doing social media for them. Um, and then coming back here to run more like digital transformation projects. Because mm-hmm. um, I figured there was more of a career path in that. And then social media was almost like my outlet for that because I still enjoyed the creativity and the collections and talking to people, which is where the unit happened as I was in this role with the stupid long job title. And then obviously I'm going to Tesla next. Yeah, that, that is bonkers, but we'll, we'll get to that a bit later in the interview, I think. Um, just for those listening who perhaps don't realise there is a legit connection between the museum and the university, can one of you just quickly summarise where that link is, other than the fact that there are buildings next to each other, but there, there is a tangible link there, isn't there? Yeah, the museum was founded by academics at the University of Reading. So we're run and technically managed by the university, but I guess you could call us a sub-brand. Yeah, it's so the museum's part of the university's museums and special collections, but the university runs runs itself kind of independently of the university, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. like we we're let alone quite a lot, but we also have all the benefits of a parent organisation. Yeah, it's nice. Cool, great. Okay, so as I mentioned, we're, we're here to talk about a bunch of tweets mainly that, that that you guys have put out there over the last year, year and a half that have have blown up for various reasons. Before this last year, what what were both of your thoughts on the potential of putting something out there that went viral? I mean, had, had you done anything that had gone particularly big before? It was was it something you were hoping for, or was it actually something you didn't want because of all the all the attention around it? It it wasn't a, a plan of ours. It had never been like a goal for the university. It had never been set as a as a kind of KPI or anything like that for me. Is that we need to go viral, or, and I I think that's probably a conversation that lots of people have had with their managers in our kind of jobs is that you need to make this go viral. Can you mm-hmm. make this go viral? Probably more since Adam has changed what universities do and how they talk about stuff is that now people are saying, can you do it? Can you do me a, a you know, an absolute unit or something like that? I'm so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apologize to the higher education, social media, UK community. Yeah. Can you, can you do me any, an absolute unit? Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's never been something that we, we aimed for. Um, I'd seen other unis do it or, or kind of achieve it by accident with stuff that didn't really seem particularly relevant to them. And, and you see, you often see, um, you know, just random people on social media or random brands or something like that go viral with something that doesn't reflect back to, to them or their kind of product or their beliefs or their offering or anything like that. And so I always thought, well, I'm not just going to do it with like, I probably wouldn't want to go viral with just like a random funny picture that's not associated with the university because it doesn't tie in with, with what we try to, to achieve. Um, we did well. We did quite well um, once before the unit, sort of a year, a year or so before, where um, we'd pushed one of our one of our academics and, and our kind of comms team to directly rebut uh, an alt right YouTuber who was complaining about you know the BBC's kind of revisionist take on British history and like Romans in Britain, mm-hmm. um, and so we came out quite kind of in a quite kind of timely fashion, quite strongly against that fake news, that misinformation that was being spread around, and that went really well for us that was probably the most popular most engaged thing that we'd done on social media before that and that was really the first time that we had pushed to do something that was that was bigger than what we usually do uh, and that that gave me a lot of um credit to spend on other things i think yeah and what about you adam like life bu before the unit what 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 was that like into what were your thoughts on going viral well we never really thought it would happen 
But then I don't think any museums had really gone that viral before. Like it wasn't really something people expected in the sector anyway. Mm. Probably because we were just not that great at doing it more than that we couldn't. And especially for us with our kind of collections, like it's it's an amazing collection, but it is essentially farming equipment and, you know, the material culture of the countryside. It's quite hard to imagine that going viral in any way, shape or form. But we did have one thing, which was when this when we were close to redevelopment, this mouse got into the museum, mm-hmm. um, which we usually have traps for. But it managed to get upstairs, which they're not meant to be able to get to. But because there were so many things lying around, we think it managed to clamber up there. And that's where we keep the majority of our collection, but it's not like labeled and interpreted. There's like 35,000 objects, which a mouse could have really damaged, like wool, leather, wood, everything that a mouse would want to make into a nest. But this mouse managed to zero in on the one shelf dedicated to historic mouse traps and get itself trapped inside this Edwardian humane mouse trap. And our curator found it pretty soon after. And it was so fresh, he thought it was like a teaching aid. An email around the museum, like, has anyone put this mouse in this mouse trap as a kind of joke sort of thing? But we wrote that up as a blog and it got picked up by BuzzFeed mm. and went what we considered viral back then. But it kind of showed that we could go viral if we had the right story and we pitched it the right way. But it wasn't just going to happen so much by accident. Like the, We realized it was a bit of effort to put in there. The, the funniest thing about that for me was that was not long after I'd started at the university and, and me and the press office were kind of recognized the story in that as as you had done um recognize like the kind of funny element to it and the, the kind of crazy story and the interest that it was getting from around the world and trying to get other people at the university to cooperate with us in making this into a thing and getting it out to the world and people saying i don't get it it's just a, like why do people think this is funny i don't understand like why are why are the bbc coming to film this it's just a mouse in a mouse trap and having to like explain to them why this is an interesting and funny thing and and people saying like but the museum's got this amazing representative collection of plows no one wants to come and talk to us about our plows why would they want to come and talk to us about a mouse trap and having to like explain the joke basically yeah but you had seen like the story in that and the kind of funny side of it and the ability to get it out to the to the world through social media and, and digital media yeah yeah and there's a bit of humility in that and we realize most people don't care about plows so we've tried to find more of those stories that work rather than just trying to force wagons down people's throats maybe we go for the funny stories and then try and draw them into something more serious afterwards so let's let's do it then let's go back to 9th of april 2018 um, and I guess these next few questions are really aimed at you, Adam. Like, th- this is the moment the absolute unit was unleashed on the world. I guess, first of all, before we get into the tweet and, and everything that happened afterwards, where, where did you even find this beast? Did, did you just happen to come across it in, when you were looking through the collections? Did, had, you, had you seen this unit earlier and thought, I'm going to use that at some point? No, I found it. Okay, so there's a boring point and a less boring point. The boring point is that we have a digital asset management system mm-hmm. and as a museum, we obviously catalog and digitize a lot of the collections, giving them the right metadata, making sure they're searchable. And our photographic assistants had marked 40,000 or so of these images as social media approved. So at a basic level, we actually had something to search in the first place yeah. rather than just casting about randomly. And we knew we could use it without having to go through an approval process, which is amazing. But the other point about 9th of April was that it's International Unicorn Day, I think. And an archivist thought we should do something for it. Because you often find this with museums, they 
are desperately trying to shoehorn their content into any hashtag, just like in this desperate bid for relevance. And we were just jumping on the same bandwagon. So I was searching for horn and sheep, because I thought there might be a sheep with a horn out of its forehead. And instead I found that absolute unit, which is from our farm and stock breeder journal. And as soon as I saw that, unicorns went straight out of my head. It's like, this is just an impressive beast. Let's put it out there. Yeah. And and you, you did put it out there. I mean, it sounds like it sounds like you didn't exactly agonize over the wording of it. Was it quite a was it quite a spur of the moment thing? It was completely a spur of the moment. Yeah. Except for the fact that I spent too much time on the internet and on Reddit. So that meme had kind of been bubbling around in my head anyway for a couple of weeks. And we had done a meme before that of um, a big she, a big pig saying this is the ideal human male body, but oh, how does that go? So this is this is what peak male performance looks like? This is yeah. what the ideal the, male body looks like? Yeah. And that had done okay, but not amazingly. So there were a few things that were just kind of in the background of my head, but otherwise it was just tweet it. And we're lucky we're allowed to do that at the museum. Yeah. So when, when did you know something was happening with it? Like how quickly did your mentions explode? It was a slow bubble. And then I distinctly remember going to the toilet and I wasn't doing a number two, but I was checking my phone and it was, it was um, ticking faster than my phone could keep up. And I was like, okay, something's happening because we were only used to getting like maybe 50 likes per post and anything more than that, we didn't know what to do with. So yeah, that's when I first realized. And Tim, what, what did you guys think over at the university when you, when you saw this thing ticking over? I, I don't think any of us saw it when it kind of immediately went out. You know, we keep the Merle on a pretty close watch list these days, but at the time, things often kind of got past us. I think I'd gone home for the day, mm-hmm. possibly, and I checked my I put my personal Twitter account and I had a DM from Adam saying, uh, hi, um, I, think, I think we've done something and I think it's going quite well. You might want to just have a look for the uni's sake um, and switched over to the uni account and saw, you know, it was already on, you know, a thousand or two thousand or something like that. Oh, okay, they've, they've cracked it now and, and, and retweeted it, you know, jumped on the bandwagon um, as the university does. Uh, yeah, I mean, we were just shocked, obviously, to start with that this is probably the same as you, that it had, it had taken off because, yeah, like I'd, I'd seen you doing similar things like that, that pig one. Um, and I know that you had done similar kind of funny things like the mouse trap and stuff like that beforehand and so we weren't expecting one thing in particular to really take off but i guess on reflection it was probably only a matter of time before something got retweeted by the right account or something to get that kind of critical mass obviously like you've got that on your own now but at the time you know buzzfeed picked up the mousetrap and that was the thing that kicked it off that sort of thing so yeah we saw it and 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 for us it was great to see merle doing what they're kind of known for now which is using new technology new technology using social media and twitter to take their collection of old things to a new audience mm. and and that was what that was so yeah we we completely embrace what they do now with that sort of stuff yeah and i realized this question i'm about to ask i hadn't thought to to put it on our original list that i sent through to you so apologies if you have to do a bit of thinking on your feet here but i remember after absolute unit you did a a really nice thread sort of explaining what the museum is actually about and 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 talking through the the collections and everything those few days after it went big did you did you feel any pressure to do something like that to to try and make it so that people didn't just check in for the sheep and then check out again but actually actually showcase what what you're about and try and give them the reason to stay definitely and it's tim that showed me was it the racist milkshake duck yeah where there's this idea that something goes very viral from an account and then 
everyone then finds out that the person who did that content was a massive racist or something. Mm. We were, I didn't realize at the time, but it was that same fear that people were following us and enjoying this tweet. And then they might suddenly realize, oh, Jesus, I'm following the Museum of English Rural Life. Mm. How the hell did this happen? They're tweeting about plows. I thought it was going to be all about memes. I, st- I still feel like that. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew we, it was a, def- it was a very definite decision that we had to actually introduce people to the museum but in a way that wasn't that was in the same uh vein as the original tweet mm. to kind of show that we were straddling the two i think that's why we actually got followers out of it because when you look at most viral tweets you go through to the account and it's like 12 followers and it's just some kid from like stockholm or something yeah saying no SoundCloud rap. yeah but I think the only reason people were following us is because we were at least an institution and we were showing that we had a bit more to offer than just one one-off tweet. I'd hope. I actually have no idea why people were following us. I, I liked that that little wrap-up that you did as well. I think, was that like a Friday afternoon or something like that? You kind of closed it off. You, you know, you posted that thread and you said like, this is what the museum does and this is what we do. You know, this is why we've got all these photos of, of old animals and things like that. Yeah. And And that way of closing it off was like a nice way of kind of saying this is the end of our contribution to this particular joke and we're not just going to keep retweeting ourselves because look how funny we are. Um, and I like that. I know that that's in your social media kind of guidelines, your, your tone of voice guidelines for the Merle is that we don't keep beating a dead horse about how funny we are. Yeah, don't milk it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so to speak, yeah. Um, and so that kind of like closing it off was really nice for me. I was really, really impressed with that, that you could have kept getting the same laugh for the same joke, but you you tied it back into what the museum actually does in a way that, that brought the whole thing to a sort of neat close. Yeah, and then we tried to make that the pattern for if we were to ever go viral again, we knew that we had to, there'd probably be something silly to begin with, and then we need to tie it back into what the museum does and then know when to stop so that people just don't hate us. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's setting the expectations for your audience as well, isn't it? They, they know what they're getting into. They know that it will mainly be plows rather than memes. So so Absolute Unit happens, everyone loves it. And then fast forward a few months of 2nd of July 2018 and the country's in the middle of singing about football coming home and all of that stuff. And seemingly out of nowhere, Tim, the, the university account quotes Hot Fuzz, tells racists everywhere to jog on. And again, just brilliant scenes, just the internet blowing up. I mean, tell, retell the story about how that particular incident, that particular tweet came about. Sure. So that was, um, the, the tweet was about uh, refugee scholarships that the university was offering. And we're not the first university to offer these kind of scholarships. You know, lots of, others, lots of other unis beat us to it. Lots of other unis offer, you know, more or, or more generous scholarships than what we had. So, but we still wanted to talk about it anyway. You know, it's something that we, the uni was, was doing that we were quite proud of. Um, they had a, a special um, open day for refugee students alongside our kind of traditional open day where they'd invited lots of refugees in the local area. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we wanted to obviously, you know, show that we were doing this thing and invite people to come and talk about what we had on offer for, for people who needed these scholarships. So we posted it um, a couple of days before the before the 2nd of July and it went along all right. I think we got like 30 or 40 retweets and 100, 100, 200 likes, which is, you know, decent for us for what was basically just a tweet that pointed to a press release with a kind of average picture attached to it because mm-hmm. the photographer didn't get to get to that event. So it was not a great photo. Uh, so we tweeted this thing, you know, we've got these refugee scholarships, fine. And then after a couple of days, we started getting kind of nasty mentions on Twitter saying like, I think one of them was, you know, please tell me this is a sick joke that you're not actually going to give these people money and that sort of thing. And, and we started getting emails to like generic 
email inboxes around the uni and communications at Reading and, and that sort of thing, we're getting emails saying, can you confirm that this is not actually going to happen, right? You're not actually going to do refugee scholarships because, you know, they're just economic migrants and that sort of rubbish. And and these scholarships were something that we felt quite strongly about as a university and, and I knew that the, the whole university was quite behind it. The comms team were all really on board with it. So we discussed a response and rather than saying, you know, we stand committed as a university to our proud commitment to blah, 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 some sort of garbage like that, that, that we probably would have done otherwise. We thought, no, we may as well come out, you know, in a way that, in a way that um, reflects how we, how strongly we feel about this. And, um, in a way that, that, that says, no, sort of here we stand and, and this is what we believe and, and this is where we're, where we're drawing the line and what the university is going to say and, and what the university is going to do. So yeah, we, we kind of chatted about it as a comms team. Um, I sit, the social media team, which is me, sits in with our internal comms team and our press office, um, kind of PR and uh, community relations and, and all student communications and everything. So we've all got a pretty good idea about how to how to write a message, how the message is going to be received, how to do follow-ups, all that sort of stuff. So yeah, we're like, we chatted about it and then um, put it straight out saying we've had some feedback that, that people are unhappy about these scholarships. Um, to anyone who is unhappy, we'd just like to say, jog on. Yeah. Uh, tough luck, I believe it was. Tough yeah. luck, jog on. Yeah. yeah. So you told him to jog on, um, and then obviously it, it started ticking over again. I guess same question as I asked Adam earlier. Like at what point did you know this one was was kicking off? Yeah. So I think this one went. We posted about two in the afternoon, and then by the time I was heading out the door, it looked like it was getting you know more engagement than the previous post about the same scholarships. We'd already kind of passed that point. Mostly like staff and students, and that you know the usual people that retweet university accounts as yep. people who feel obligated um, as part of their employment. And by the time I kind of got home, it was doing doing quite well. And I think I said to my wife, like, hey, look, this thing that I did on Twitter is going quite well. And she said, I don't care. Like, I've got three children to deal with. So <laughs> hurry up and, you know, get home and help me with dinner or something. Uh, which is a lesson in the fact that nobody else cares about your social media metrics apart from <laughs> other social media managers. Certainly not your immediate family when they've got small babies. So... Yeah, but since since I got home, it was clearly by the time I got home and, and sort of settled down for the night, it was clearly kicking off much much faster than anything else had. And a couple of my colleagues were texting me saying like, "Have you seen this thing?" Which of course I was checking and getting notifications, lighting up my phone and stuff. So, yeah, we we kept an eye on it overnight, which is not something that I usually do. But I know that you know Adam has to do that quite a lot when when Merle things go big. Um, you want to keep the engagement going in the short term, at least you know, and so you end up doing stuff at night and on weekends which maybe you try not to do otherwise and you yeah, get it's, it's quite sad you get all that sweet time in lieu back don't you yeah <laughs> um <laughs> so yeah i mean it just so happened that i think my my twin boys were about five or six months old at the time so i was up all night anyway um i, I distinctly remember giving one a bottle at three in the morning while typing replies with one hand and um, that's impressive yeah thank you you know multitasking yeah. and then you know up at four and five and six and seven again anyway sending replies and, and engaging with stuff to kind of keep it going and, and support what we were doing and then yeah by the, by the time it was the morning and time to come into work again uh, I had an email from my boss saying you need to do a report on this like now kind of first thing this morning you need to sort this out and some good advice from my wife that you should probably wear a proper shirt today and maybe trousers instead of like a hoodie and jeans, um, just in case you get called into the Tim's used office. to come into work into speedos. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't need to see anyone. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Australian, man. Get the thong on. Yeah. <laughs> 
so yeah, I, I did actually have to get in quite early and kind of get a report together to demonstrate what the hell I'd done. And I guess the big difference here was was the nature of the replies. So like the absolute unit was generally joyous replies and, and just people really getting on board. And it, there was certainly a large part of Jog On got that as well, but there was also a, a chunk of unsavoury types who surfaced. I mean, how difficult was it going through those those horrible replies? Because this is always a thing for a social media manager. It's, the replies are not aimed at that person, but usually, particularly when it's a team of one, that person feels like they are. So was it difficult seeing all of that horrible stuff come through? We'll be back right after this. Thank you so much for checking out this new podcast it really means an awful lot that you're giving your attention to this show and i hope it's been worth it so far if you are enjoying the show and you'd like to help us spread the word a bit more we've come up with a few things you can do one subscribe to this show so you never miss a future episode you can do that wherever you get your podcasts two leave us a rating or review despite there not being definitive proof that they actually mean anything Every other podcaster out there always asks for them, so we probably should too. Three, tell a friend about this podcast. That would be nice. And four, get our logo tattooed on your face and turn yourself into a permanent walking advert for Inspiration on Tap. Any or all of those would be just fine. Thanks. Okay, on with the show. Was it difficult seeing all of that horrible stuff come through? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a problem that I think I have at the uni and I'm, I'm sure lots of other people who are in the same kind of situation as me where it's one person um, and, and you're quite invested in your job. You know, I'm, I'm proud of the work that I do at the university. I'm proud of what the uni does. And so you end up taking it quite personally when people have a go. Um, mm. Also, often there's nothing you can do about it. And so you end up, it's just kind of frustrating like having to, respond to stuff or deal with stuff when it's not your fault or it's not your problem but but this kind of thing yeah when people were very very angry it's hard not to take that personally and it's hard not to get annoyed or upset you know just because other people have different opinions whether they're small-minded racist or not you still Mm. um you can't you can't change someone's mind necessarily it was quite heartening to see lots of our alumni come in and start having those discussions and, and making those points on the uni's behalf. We, we tried not to get into arguments with people. Um, we had lots of, we had the lines already worked out. You know, like I said, before we posted the thing, we'd, we'd worked it out with the press office and everything. And so they're the ones that deal with the responses to stuff. Mm. So we already had the replies already lined up about, you know, other scholarships that we offer, work that we do for widening participation, everything like that, you know, supporting UK students instead of international students. So I was comfortable using all of those replies, yeah. But it was it was a bit it was a bit difficult going through hateful content mm. um, because it's not something that I come across in my usual time on the internet. You know, I'm not in those places anyway. Uh, so that was a bit surprising. But it it was worse going through um, as part of our kind of social listing. We're picking up lots of stuff online, not necessarily on social media. Things like comment sections of certain newspapers were a bit rough, and and people saying like let's go and find the people who wrote this and have a chat to them. Mm. That sort of thing is, is just a bit unsettling. And you know it's just internet heroes and keyboard warriors, but sometimes it's not. And, and so that was a little bit weird to read. Uh, and, then, and then we ended up picking up a couple of quite rogue Twitter accounts that were associated with like actual neo-Nazi blogs saying like proper kind of white power stormfront blogs saying like, we need, to, we need to get on this, like we need to deal with this 
sort of attitude and we need to sort out the people who are working on this and um, I mean obviously like nothing came of it but and it never got to the point where we had like campus security involved or anything like that but it was just a bit unsettling to be like checking my mentions at home and see you know SS logos or something popping up saying we need to deal with this yeah I bet it's not the usual kind of content we get at the University of Reading no thankfully um, and Adam what what did you make of it similar to, to what I asked Tim earlier what did you think of this when you saw jog on happening oh we all loved it because i mean yeah there were all the negatives but it felt like the university was taking a strong stance on something and actually the university people working in this university and in the museums are always doing amazing things and amazing projects and it is it's sometimes not great when you see those things communicated through this five layers of like legalese or um five layers of like communications committees finding like the dullest way of explaining what's happening so then to have something with personality and like uh, integrity almost if i can say that yeah sure in, go on in, <laughs> in how we're communicating our work it's almost like that idea of the values of an organization being put out there and it makes you proud to work at the university mm. and sometimes you're not necessarily proud because of many different reasons to work at a place but that very public uh, line in the sand almost was it did make me proud to work at the university yeah and I think that came out in the alumni as well like a lot of the alumni were in that thread saying I'm so proud to have studied at the University of Reading proud of my hometown kind of thing yeah and you were able to crowdfund an extra an extra place on the scholarship as well you? yeah that's right so that that was kind of our immediate reaction um, was to get onto the alumni office because we had lots of people um, offering stuff money and things and stuff like that we had independent booksellers consortium of wales write to us on twitter and say like we want to donate books and stationery and things like that it was very sweet those kind of material offers was very lovely um and so the alumni team managed to get a donation form up really quickly which was able to raise enough for another scholarship which was a kind of ultimate like um response to the people who were criticizing us is we're actually just going to do more of this yeah amazing and and one interesting piece as well i mean you talked about sort of um, getting under the skin of the far right, which you kind of expect with that kind of thing. But weirdly, the Guardian seemed to take real objection to it. So you managed to annoy that side as well a little bit as well. It, it, I mean, that piece, I remember it. I thought it seemed very harsh and very just clickbaity. I, did that one bother you at all? If it did, did it bother you more than the racists at all? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I am in a way, I'm quite proud that I've managed to unite a, a columnist from the Guardian and the kind of columnist from the Daily Mail, uh, that they were both like in agreement on one thing for that one day Good that, that yeah. we were idiots. Yeah. yeah. Um, very proud day for the University of Reading. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, I mean, that was quite surprising from the Guardian. Like I was after, after getting a bit of a kicking from, from all of the places you would expect, to then think like, ah, cool, I mentioned in the Guardian, and open it up and find out that it was just just criticism was a bit was quite surprising, and like I said, you know, you take a lot of you take stuff on board whether you probably should or not, and yeah, I mean, but the thing that the thing that was most kind of surprising and at the time really annoying to me was that that was when um, activists were raising money to float the balloon of baby Donald Trump in the diaper over Central Park, um, the Hyde Park, sorry, when when he was going to be here for his visit. And the Guardian were falling over themselves, wetting their pants about how funny and clever that was, um, but at the same time calling what we had done, you know, divisive and unhelpful to the current debate and reductive and things like that. And so that was quite annoying that in the same day, in the same paper, 
uh, they were happy with one thing and not happy with the other when I felt maybe it should have been the other way around. Mm. So that, that kind of made it one all in the in the Reading viral derby that was 2018. But the Merle managed to take to, to go ahead again later in the year. So 6th of October, um, come across this quite wonderful thread featuring like possessed dogs and, and chickens wearing trousers. Um, and that's going to sound weird as an audio thing to anyone who hasn't seen it. So I guess Adam, just, <laughs> just quickly quickly tell me more about what, what you found and what, what you managed to do with that as a thread rather than a one-off, a, a one-off hit. Ugh, it wasn't even something I found. And it, this goes back to how important trust is here at the moment for me getting content. Because our archivist had recently acquired this book written by a um, 13-year-old kid in mm-hmm. the 18th century called Richard Beale, I think. Um, living on a farm and it was related to some farm diaries that we'd acquired like a year or two ago so mm-hmm. we we're just like building up the archive but she said you might find this interesting for social media and I came down as this kind of nondescript working book like kind of it looks old but we're surrounded by old crap so who cares and as you open it up it's got nice handwriting it's he's practicing his maths but as you gradually leafed through you realised he started doodling in his maths book yeah and he started doodling his dog. He was doodling the hunt where he lived. And eventually he doodled this little chicken wearing trousers. And I think that was the exact moment when I realized that this would do well on social media. Because I made this thread which said, we're going to take you on this journey very intentionally because our archivist had said, if it had been left to her, she'd have just tweeted a picture of the chicken wearing trousers probably and just said, here's a funny picture. But I wanted to get across that same kind of feeling of, discovery that we get when we go into our collections and it's kind of why most people work in museums because they just love discovering that history and there's no point just showing people the thing at the end you want to get across that same feeling um gradually showing people his doodles and that's what was the original hook i think because no one really cares about old books but everyone can kind of identify with doodling in their textbooks um but then throwing in some of our personality which I think we could get away with because of what we'd established with the unit where if another museum had put up a picture of a dog saying this dog has seen some shit I don't think they would have got away with it because we've built up that reputation and we didn't get any negative feedback for swearing that time on Twitter and then ending with this chicken in trousers and getting it retweeted by JK Rowling Mm. and we threw in a gif of a chicken wearing trousers as well I think um but yeah, that was, that's essentially it. Just a cool book and some weird doodles. And do you think the, f- the fact that you did it as a thread rather than just the one-off tweet of the chicken in trousers, do you think that almost had, had more impact? Because it certainly worked as a storytelling device. And like you were saying, did, like, did you prefer crafting a thread rather than just a, a reactionary tweet, for example? Way more. Yeah. yeah. And it blew the engagement stats for the unit out of the water. I think it was twice or three times as popular. But that's purely because there's a lot more things for people to get their teeth into. Mm. And instead of just straight retweets, there was a lot of people saying, come and look at this thread, then look at the replies. It's just adding so much extra value to that story, which would have been impossible with just a one-off tweet. So we've kind of taken that as our main tactic now on Twitter, where the thread just gives us so much more value and so much more opportunity to push extra stuff into it yeah no, that's, that's 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 cool and and tim like what what were you guys thinking at this point you think it oh, they, they've outdone us again or yeah or, or, or bloody was it, mel, was yeah <laughs> um no no we were we were 
even more impressed with the chicken in trousers you know it was that storytelling of it and and it was the like the ultimate example of how to use something as mundane as a book uh, to you know bring bring a person to life don't tell the librarians (laughs) (laughs) yeah the librarians and the archivists and everyone yeah no but but to use just a book a, a maths homework book it's like a universal experience that everyone's had sitting there struggling through your maths homework when you'd rather be doing anything else and and for you guys to like completely bring that to life you, you've built that picture you've you've painted a picture of like this this boy's experience from someone who lived you know 100 150 years ago you know in a country that you know most people who follow the mill aren't even from and and everyone engaged with that and that resonated with everyone and that was an, another example of Merle using technology to bring their collection to life which is the point of a museum surely and that's something that Merle just continue to do over and over yeah because we've had this this content's been here forever I mean that was a newly acquired book yeah but our museum archive and library is full of stuff just waiting to be adapted to social media it doesn't it's not good enough just by itself it needs to be changed into something that actually people would click on rather than just saying here's a book almost like you have to think about content on social media and not just put it out there weird that isn't it um so i know that there were some absolute unit t-shirts made and i'm lucky enough to have a postcard was there was there any demand for merchandise with with jog on or this dog has seen some shit was was there any was there any calls for for stuff to be made there jogging shorts or trainers (laughs) racist trainers racist trainers yeah yeah keep them white no there was there was a couple of people, you know, asked about jogger on T-shirts and things like that, but universities being universities and anyone who listens to this who works in a university will know if we'd gone down that route, we would still be having arguments in the T-shirt procurement steering committee meetings <laughs> today, you know. I'd, I'd have had to cancel that meeting to come down and do this. And so there was no chance of getting anything produced in any kind of timely fashion like my children might have ended up with one at some point when they come to work for the university, but otherwise, no. Shame. Actually, that that we would have done way more merchandise, but we are actually literally stuck in the t-shirt procurement hell stage. <laughs> like it's it's one of my main disappointments with how we handled it, in that we could have made so much merchandise, and people ask us every week for merchandise, not just for the unit, but yeah, the chicken and trousers, and all the other things. But working in the kind of bureaucratic institution that a university is with preferred suppliers. They have their own e-commerce system, which is not set up for museums at all. But because they have one, we're not allowed our own sort of thing. Um, I've resigned, so I think I'm allowed to say some of these things. (laughs) But it's the university has systems and we can't be as nimble as we'd like to be in getting the merchandise out there. And we're getting there, but it's a really slow process. And yeah, we we could have done that better, but we don't have enough staff. You know, a private company would have had absolute unit T-shirts on on Etsy or something the next day. Right? Well, we've we've had to take down, we've had to get someone to take down a copy of an absolute unit T-shirt from T-shirt sites because they're just stealing it. And there's someone who's made enamel pins of different absolute unit animals, and one is definitely the sheep. Mm. And we're kind of showing this to people and saying people are taking our opportunities. Like, there's more of a risk to leave this than the risk of letting us sell T-shirts through Zazzle or something. But it's quite hard to get that across when you're just saying we want to put big sheep on t-shirts to make money. And I think a lot of people would be like, what are you doing? We just want to sell tickets for lectures, which I think is more the comfort zone of the university. Yeah. I mean, that, that flows quite nice into your next question, really, right? Comfort zone of the university in particular is sort of 
trying to convince seniors of things, senior officers. How did you go about reporting what you'd done on these different examples to your seniors? Like, did did you just show them the stats? Did did they get it? Like, was, was it a difficult process? I mean, Tim, you said you 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 know you went to the extent of wearing a smart shirt and proper trousers for that day. Was it was it difficult explaining what you'd done? It was no, it wasn't difficult explaining the value of what we'd done because a couple of the senior staff at the university are on Twitter um, or, you know, people are around them, people around them are on Twitter and are able to get that across to them anyway. And um, it had gone kind of so viral by that point that people who even weren't on Twitter knew about it and, and had all told each other about it and that sort of thing. So people, people knew um, and that I wouldn't have done it or maybe I wouldn't have done the same kind of thing if I wasn't confident that the uni as as an institution, like as, as one body, was so behind that message that I couldn't have gotten away with it. And so, yeah, I, I w- wouldn't have been confident to put that statement out in the way that we did if I wasn't confident that it would have been at least neutrally received up above, if you know what I mean. Okay. And I guess a question for both of you then. The three, the three examples we've discussed so far, which, which one do each of you think was the best? And you can pick your own, that's fine. That's so difficult because they're for such different purposes. Oh, that's such a woolly answer though. But like, yeah, the university is in such a different context yeah. that Tim's tweet was crazy brave for a university to take that kind of punt. Mm-hmm. Whereas a museum, we don't have like angry students or... Um, weird lecturers saying offensive things or broken well we sometimes have broken toilets so we can just kind of get away with so much more and that's uh, why i'm applying for your job because i'm sick of getting hassled on social media about broken toilets and exam timetables and <laughs> yeah angry we just get to talk about chickens yeah. <laughs> um i can only speak for me personally but yeah I, li- I like the chicken the best i like the chicken the best as well actually but for the for the reasons i said you know it's that telling that story and bringing a person to life off just a few scraps of paper and some some scratchings you know you can imagine what this guy was like and, and what his life was yeah. like that was that was the most interesting thing for me i mean i i liked all three i think i also liked the the chicken thread the best as well actually uh, particularly with the appearance of the dog midway through that that made me actually lol <laughs> it was good internally as well because everyone thought the sheep was a bit silly even though i did a lot of work explaining like what it achieved further yeah. down the line but the fact that this was collections first and everyone enjoying the collections got a lot more people on board. Okay. Which is nice. Well, I think what we'll do, there's still plenty more questions I want to ask you, but I feel like this is already turning into a two-parter. So I think we will pause here and then we will come back for part two to continue chatting about going viral. Um, and we've got bats and Elon Musk and, and more racists to talk about. So uh, we'll do that in the next part. You've been listening to Inspiration on Tap, a podcast brought to you by the Access Platform. Our tool gives you an authentic connection to prospective students in the form of chat, content and FAQs. We'll help you attract, convert and recruit more students. Find out more, book a demo or sign up to our awesome newsletter at theaccessplatform.com or say hi on Twitter where we're at TA Platform. This episode was hosted and produced by me, Dave Musson, and my guests were Tim Watkins from the University of Reading and Adam Kazari from the Merle, soon to be from Tesla. You can find them both on Twitter, links are in the episode description, and make sure you check back next week for part two. Our theme tune and ad music were created for us by Laptop Philharmonic. Find more of his music on Apple Music, Spotify, or at laptopphilharmonic.bandcamp.com. 
Last of all, don't forget to subscribe to this show, Inspiration on Tap, so you never miss a future episode. And feel free to leave us a rating or review, as it really helps. Or just tell a friend about our show. Or bookmark a link to our show and save it to your dig profile. Catch you next time.